Taxation and the Bath of the Double Bed It is interesting how we as Kenyans can adopt a culture whose origin we are clueless about and totally integrate it into our own after which we enforce it with the fear of being cast by ancestors who have no idea of the particular custom if you attend wedding receptions you will likely see the girl's family present to the new couple who have likely been living together for years with a brand new bed suggesting that the groom had been sleeping on the floor or in his childhood bed the bed is presented with a lot of aplomb in a way to suggest that the only expectation of the girl's family is that their daughter will be spending most of her time comfortably asleep when one follows the history of the custom one finds out that the items given to the bride by her mother was her bedding's not a bed as a sign that she shall from then on lay her bed in the new home and she has no place to lay her head within her mother's hut i will avoid raising the issues of servants quarters for fear of being lynched somewhere along the way this custom was extended to include the bed and not the single size bed that the bride likely slept on when in her mother's house but a brand new king size bed 6 feet by 6 feet making one wonder how this would allow the couples to get closer to each other another issue to note is that chances are very high that the couple will be moving into a house with a 9 by 9 foot bedroom you can imagine what that does for the newlyweds who will now end up with a bedroom that has nothing else within it than the new bed Alternatively, they might now be forced to move into a larger house, thus increasing their living costs at a time when they need to be building wealth to meet the impending rising costs required in bringing up a family. So, if the custom of handing over the girl's beddings to her on her wedding day was a way to pass on a message, how exactly did giving huge impractical beds become a casual custom if not adhered to? To answer that, I will need to take you back to a time in Kenya many decades ago and to the childhood homestead of one Mzee Jaramogi Oginga Odinga, also known as the first vice president of the Independent Republic of Kenya and also one of the first Africans to set up a wholesale business. I will end the introduction there for now. In his famous and oft-quoted book, Not Yet Uhuru, or was it not yet uhuru that many know about but have never read a group of which i was a card carrying member until very recently when i started on my journey towards eliminating my educated ignorance the book is what i believe is called an autobiography an account of a person's life written by that person that takes us through his life from as early as he could remember to the time he decided to step into the role of official opposition in 1967 that year also happens to be the year i was born a fact that has nothing of interest to do with the rest of the article being an autobiography we can only have mzee to blame for any inaccuracies but since he was a dedicated student of mathematics i doubt there is much of that in the book in the book he brings to life the history of how the man went from sitting in the corner of his chamber watching his squad of wives and battalion of progeny tilling the land 
or tending the animals to becoming the so-called breadwinner. How earning can be equated to winning baffles me to this day. To Mze Jaramogi, this started with the hut census, which took place in the village where he grew up. For every homestead, a compound occupied by one husband, his multiple wives and children, the clerks recorded the number of dwelling huts. In traditional culture, the owner of the homestead, who today we might falsely assume is the husband, would have his own hut where he slept alone, while each of his wives would have their own individual huts where they slept alone with their children. The unmarried boys, once they had gone through initiation, would likely be allowed to build their own huts within the compound. I, nor Jaramogi, claim this to be the norm across all tribes within Kenya, but it is fairly well spread for us to make a generalization. The census was deemed to be a very innocent activity that did not elicit any concern from the elders, the commons, or the women and children, but little did they know that the simple act of picking a one to two inch piece of reed from the roof of each dwelling hut in a compound could change life as they knew it forever. Soon after the hut census was carried out and the tallied data transmitted, I believe by snail mail or maybe even by telex, not the social app you currently use but electronic nonetheless, to somewhere in the United Kingdom, Yes, the Mecca that our leaders must visit before they are allowed to have their faces on a ballot paper. Once the data had been collated from across the country, the tax rate was deduced and the relevant communiques sent back to Kenya from the United Kingdom for implementation, one of which was that the elder of the homestead must pay an annual tax of one rupee for each dwelling hut within their compound. This should also reveal to you that data did not become the new oil when the Facebook data leak was revealed, but it had been so for centuries. Since most Africans had no access to cash, this new directive meant that the elder of the homestead had to relinquish his supervisory role within the homestead and instead go and work for those who could pay him in rupees and not gorogoros, even though part of the pay would have included posho, also known as the maize and beans that certain communities have claimed as their ancestral staple food. Now, since one had to pay tax for each dwelling hut in the compound, it only made sense that to reduce one's expenses meant reducing the number of dwelling huts in the compound, and thus the man and his wife moved into a single hut, while in other areas, the husband kept his hut, but then put all the wives into a single hut together with all the children, which could explain our obsession with wanting to build ever larger houses. This response was universal across the British Empire, and I suspect the Roman one as well, as couples would now share a room and by extension, a bed which now needed to be larger to accommodate the two. With that, you now know how taxation was the cause for carpenters to start making larger beds and it isn't an African custom that needs to be followed for fear of getting cast. So, the next time you're involved in a wedding committee, explain to them why Bitcoin is acceptable as a gift from the girl's parents to the new couple, especially if the bride already owns a memory foam mattress bed with divan. This audio article was recorded at Acute Media. 
the audio engineer is Kevin O'Chieng, the executive producer is Miranda Dixon, and the voicing has been done by me, Helen Kasui. I am open to handling any of your voiceover jobs. Reach out to us via hello at acute.co.ke to book a session. Follow the author of the article, Robert Yahweh, on Twitter at Coach Yahweh. Yahweh is spelled as Y-A-W-E. This is an acute media production.